Today's reading is going to be from John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. This has been the reading of God's Word. Y'all may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. It is a joy for me to be here as we look together at God's Word. My name is David Duran. I am a member here at Doxa Church, and I'm a church planter with the North American Mission Board and Harbor Network. As many of you know, for the last three years, uh, we've been at Doxa, and we've been praying and working towards planting King's Cross Church in Plymouth, Massachusetts. And by God's grace, we've made significant strides towards this. We're really excited. The day's coming soon. Uh, This summer, we'll be on the ground and just continue in the work. Uh, It's been really encouraging, you guys, really encouraging to see God answers specific prayers that we've been praying recently. Uh, We've been praying that God would develop relationships with other churches and other pastors and that they would want to come alongside and support the work that God has called us to do. Uh, God has provided that and he continues to provide that. We've been praying that God would save people along the south shore of Massachusetts. And I was up there a couple weeks ago And I had an hours-long conversation with someone about the gospel. It was beautiful. I had another conversation with a woman. I'll tell you the story really quick. At a restaurant I was at, it was like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, nobody was there, and five songs in a row that sort of uh, came on were country music songs. I'm in Plymouth, Massachusetts. I'm like, what's going on with this? So I pulled her aside and I was like, I'm I'm from Georgia originally. What's what's going on with all this, this country music? And for the next 30 minutes, she told me all about her life and all about her struggles and everything she was going through. And I was able to have a conversation with her about how we believe that the gospel can change a community and can change people's lives. That's, that's all the Lord doing that. We just showed up and asked a question about country music. And next thing you know, this woman's pouring out her life to me. And it's, it's because we're covering that place in prayer. And it's Uh, It's exciting to see the Lord to begin to sort of till the soil up there. Uh, By the way, if you you don't know, we do send out a monthly uh, email with prayer requests and updates and everything that's going along uh, with the ministry. We would love to keep you updated with everything that's going on. So if you are interested in receiving receiving that email, grab one of the Connect cards that Dale referenced at the beginning of the service or back there at the Connect table. Um, Fill that out, put your name, email, and somewhere on that card just write, church plan to the Durans or something that lets us know you want to receive that email. So sign up to receive that. We'd love to keep you updated. Uh, We also have some prayer cards at the back. Take those, throw them on your fridge, and just please continue to pray for us because the Lord, he's answering those prayers. Um, God's spirit, it's going to have to move mightily in Plymouth if any good is to come out of any of this. Uh, And to know, we know that The Lord responds to the cries of his people. He responds. And I always 
I always like to do just a quick church planning update for you guys every time I preach. Uh, but if you have any further questions about uh, what we're doing or how you can be involved, pull me aside uh, when we finish worship here. I would love to talk with you more about everything that's going on. Well, why don't we go ahead and we'll pray together, and then let's open God's Word. Let's pray. Father, what a privilege it is for us to come together and worship. What a joy it is for us to sing and pray and open the Bible together and take communion together. We thank you that you have redeemed us. You have saved us from the, sin, the punishment that we rightly deserve because of our rebellion against you. You've saved us from our sins. You've transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We are no longer slaves of sin, but sons and daughters of righteousness. Sin, death, and hell do not have final authority over us. We belong to you, Lord Jesus, both now and for all of eternity. Forgive us for when we live as if this, as if this was not our reality as Christians. Forgive us for our pessimism when we doubt that your gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit can actually bring about change in individuals, in our communities, and throughout our world. We believe, help our unbelief, Father. Show us the places where you're at work. Let us celebrate all that you are doing as we continue to pray that you would do more for your glory. Give us the honor of baptizing more people into your church. Give us the joy of discipling people and helping them to grow in Christ. Give us a heart for the nations. Use us for your glory along the Grand Strand and around the world. Father, we pray specifically together for Coastal Carolina University, a place that is dear to my heart. We pray for the students and teachers in this room who are a part of that institution. We ask that out of their hearts would flow the living water that is found in you, Jesus. And when people ask them about the peace that they seem to have or the hope that they possess in times of difficulty, give them the courage to take, to take it to you, Jesus, to take people to you, the source of it all. Jesus, we all desire to drink deeply from you. We know that you are the source of our life. You, Holy Spirit, are the giver of life. Father, we want to see you glorified. You worshiped and honored in the hearts of people in our community and beyond. We ask that you would give each of us opportunities to share about the hope that we have in you. Give us courage to be bold in our witness. We ask now that as we open our Bibles and we look at your word, that you would make this passage come alive by the power of your spirit. I know there are many people in here who are physically tired this morning. I pray that you would give us a supernatural ability to focus on you. Remove the distractions as we seek to worship you now with our hearts and minds. Meet us here, Lord. Meet with us today as you've already done, and we trust that you will continue to do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's something about the words of Jesus that I find absolutely 
fascinating. And it's not really just about what he says, but it's the way that he says it. One minute he's exposing the Jewish leader Nicodemus for his lack of understanding in the Old Testament, something that he is supposed to be an expert in. And the next minute, he's having a very personal conversation with a Samaritan woman, even revealing his identity to her as the Messiah. Jesus confounds the wise with his wisdom. He comforts the broken with his compassion. He often speaks in parables that are so simple, yet deeply profound. And then when he starts attracting a following at what would seem uh, like he's at the height of his influence, he says in John 6, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. You can just imagine the disciples scratching their heads as this statement comes out of Jesus' mouth. Why would you say something like this, Jesus? You're killing this movement that we've got going on. Don't you know this is going to be difficult for the people to understand? Just keep feeding people and performing miracles, and we'll just keep this thing rolling on. Over and over in the Gospels, we find that what Jesus says and what Jesus does often confuses people. This isn't because Jesus is trying to be confusing. He's not trying to speak in a way where people can't understand him. Have you ever been around someone who, when they talk, they just seem so wise and so intelligent, but at the same time you're wondering as they're talking, I have no idea what this person is saying. That's that's not the way Jesus operates. He speaks always in order to be understood. But the fact of the matter is Jesus is often misunderstood because people, they don't want to deal with the implications of what he's saying. Jesus is misunderstood because what he says is generally pretty hard, not because it's confusing. In our passage today, much like what we saw in the first six chapters of John's gospel, Jesus, in some form or fashion, is misunderstood by the people. And maybe in the most emphatic way that we've seen thus far, Jesus is going to deal with with some of the misunderstanding surrounding him. Today we're looking at all of John chapter 7, but really I want us to zero in on verses 37 to 39. Obviously the entire chapter is important. All of it is God's word, but verses 37 to 39, they really form the heart of this entire chapter. And I'm going to use my plain analogy that I used back when I preached that one sermon on the whole book of Leviticus. It, it, probably a helicopter analogy is a little bit better for, for this. You'll see what I mean. We're going we're gonna to fly the helicopter over the first 36 verses of John 7. And I want to point some things out that are important for us in order to understand what John is communicating here. But then we're going to land right on verses 37 to 39. And we're going to get out and we're going to look around together. And we're going to see all that is in those couple of verses. Then we're going to get back in the helicopter and we're going to take off until our our next journey. But let me just give you my, my aim for the entire message right here at the beginning. Three simple goals for us. First, 
that we will see Jesus with a clearer focus. We'll see Jesus with a clearer focus. That is uh, actually the title for this entire sermon series on John, Seeing Jesus. So that, that's going to be an aim in every one of our sermons, but I want to make that explicitly clear. We'll see Jesus with a clearer focus. Second, that we will savor the role of the Holy Spirit with greater intensity. Savor the role of the Holy Spirit with greater intensity. And third, that we would understand with a greater and perhaps new depth what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Those are our three aims. Well, John begins this chapter with one of his favorite phrases. Look right there at verse 1. John writes, After this, and that's the phrase, Jesus went about in Galilee. And John just loves to use that phrase, after this. That's how he opens chapter 5. That's how he opens chapter 6. We'll see it in a bunch of other places in the book of John. And John doesn't tell us verbatim how much time has passed between the feeding of the 5,000 and the teaching of the crowds. Remember, that was John chapter 6. He fed the 5,000, walks on the water, teaches the crowd. He doesn't tell us how much time has passed between that instance and what's happening in John chapter 7. But he, got, he does give us the context so that we know exactly how much time has really passed. In verse 2, we see that the feast of booths was at hand. Other translations may say uh, feast of tabernacles or the feast of shelters. Uh, remember, the beginning of chapter 6, we saw it was the time of the Passover. Now it's the feast of booths. And that lets us know that about six months have passed um, between chapter 6 and chapter 7. And what exactly Jesus is doing during these six months, uh, John doesn't tell us. We're not sure. Uh, and even at the end of John's gospel, he writes, Now there are many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. My guess is that during these six months, Jesus was doing exactly what he always seems to be doing. Teaching the people and healing the hurting. Now, this Feast of Booths, you need to know, it was a very popular festival on the Jewish calendar. It would almost uh, sort of be like Thanksgiving on ours. This is a, a very big deal. It was a seven-day-long feast, and it's something that you don't want to miss out on. All the Jews would be traveling uh, to Jerusalem in order to celebrate. Uh, this feast was held at the end of the agricultural year for the people. All this context is important. You're going to see here in a minute, so stay with me. After all the grapes and all the olives were harvested in Israel, the people would come together. They would pray for a good rainy season for the next year. But most importantly, the Jews would remember their wilderness journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. They would remember the Lord's grace to them. And a booth was just a temporary shelter with a thatched roof made out of palm branches that the people would live in during this seven-day festival. And the point of that really was for them to remember where they've come from and to remember who it is that redeemed them. Now, the highlight of this festival, and this part is really important if we're going to really see the beauty of what Jesus says in verses 37 to 39. The highlight of this festival was the water-drawing ritual that took place each of the seven days. This ritual, it wasn't prescribed in the Old Testament, but it was added uh, to remind the Israelites of the times that God uh, provided them with water in the desert. 
You see, every day the Jewish priests would march from the pool of Siloam to the temple and pour out uh, water into a basin uh, near the altar. And each day the people would watch this ritual taking place. Keep that backdrop in your mind. People are watching. Every day the priests go to the pool of Siloam, fill up these containers. They walk to the temple right at the base of the altar. They pour, they pour it out. They're reminded of the Lord's provision of water in Israel. That, that backdrop's important. Well, in addition to this, this festival that's taking place, we also see that hostility and animosity towards Jesus has grown. Not only among the Jewish leaders, but also his own family. And really, from this point until the end of Jesus' ministry, hostility towards him is going to grow. Look with me at verses 3 to 5 here. So his brothers, as Jesus' brothers, said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. The misunderstood Messiah, not even understood by his own family members. At least, not yet. And keep in mind that by this time, Jesus has lost a lot of his followers. His brothers are thinking, albeit in worldly terms, that this is a great time for Jesus to go and make a name for himself. Go to the festival. Do a few miracles. Get his credibility back with the people. He can clear up any misunderstanding, any misconceptions about himself. Jesus' brothers, they're basically saying to him, if you're the Messiah, then go to Jerusalem and do some of your miracles there. Then, maybe then, we will believe. And this way of thinking, it really betrays two things about Jesus' brothers. They misunderstand Jesus' purpose, and they misunderstand his mission. They misunderstand Jesus' purpose, and they misunderstand Jesus' mission. Jesus' purpose is not to go and make a name for himself. His mission is not to restore the kingdom of Israel in the sense of driving out the Roman oppressors. He has much loftier goals in mind. Jesus, as he says in John 17, he came to glorify the one who sent him, having accomplished all the work he was given to do. He came to declare the good news of the kingdom of God and to secure the redemption of his people through his death and resurrection. He came to manifest the presence of God to the people of God. He came to call his people by name, transfer them from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. He came as true food and true drink for his people, the one who would bring satisfaction and joy to the searching soul. So much of the misunderstanding around Jesus comes from not understanding why he came in the first place. He didn't come to make life easier for you and for me. He didn't come so that we could live our best lives now. Or to, he didn't come so that we could be the best version of ourselves. That sort of thinking that is so prevalent in Christian circles, it has the self at the center of Christianity. And friends, that makes for an exhausting and miserable Christian experience. 
And really, it shouldn't even be called Christian. No, it's, it's Jesus, the Messiah, that belongs at the center. And all those things that I've just mentioned that go along with that. If you're here today and you're thinking that Christianity is primarily about making you a better person and improving your, your family life or whatever it is, you're completely missing it. You're missing it. It's first and foremost about the worship of Jesus. The crucified and risen King of kings and Lord of lords. This faith of ours, this faith that we have in Jesus Christ, it is lived out from a heart of worship. It's impossible to live as a Christian any other way. We must have our hearts captivated and our desires fixated on the person of Jesus. And once you see him for who he truly is, let me testify, and many other people will testify to this too, Once you see Jesus for who he truly is, you won't want to have it any other way. You don't want it any other way. You don't want any sort of uh, existence contrary to that. You want Jesus at the center of your life and your existence. Well, Jesus' brothers, at this point, it changes later, but at this point, they are clueless when it comes to understanding Jesus. So Jesus he declines their offer to go to the feast. Now, if you just glance at this section of Scripture, maybe you're, you're reading it quickly and you're not really paying attention, uh, it might seem like Jesus has a bit of a problem here. He said he's not going to go to the feast, but then he ends up going to the feast. So did Jesus just tell a lie? No, absolutely not. He did not. It was an issue of timing. Jesus always intended to go to the feast, but not in a way that would bring attention to himself. Now, when Jesus finally arrives in Jerusalem, he arrives in an atmosphere of speculation. This would also be his final trip to Jerusalem. We see two other instances where he journeys to Jerusalem. This is the third, and this is the final time. Um, Just sort of glance at verses uh, 11 to 13. People are asking uh, where Jesus is. Where is he? People are wondering, is he going to show up? Where is he? Some are saying that he's a good man. Others are saying that, no, he's, he's leading people astray. No one is really sure what to make of him at this point. Well, right in the middle of the feast, when things are really rocking and rolling, Jesus comes out of seclusion and he begins to teach in the temple. Let me just summarize for you what Jesus is teaching in verses 14 to 24. Jesus is teaching that if anyone is is truly sincere in trying to do the will of God, they will know that Jesus' teaching is divine in origin. And what Jesus does here is he exposes the people and he uses the law in order to do it. The people, they only seem to care about the outward letter of the law, but they're careless with the deeper things that that, uh, really that the law points towards. They care about keeping the circumcision right on the Sabbath, but at the same time, they're outraged that Jesus would actually heal someone on the Sabbath. Then on top of that, they want to kill Jesus, which is clearly a violation of the law. The problem is their values are wrong. They're superficial. 
And because they don't understand the meaning of the law that they um, profess to honor, they fail to recognize that the authority of Jesus is the very authority of God. Jesus, he cuts through the mess and he goes right to the heart of the issue. And he does it in a way that only Jesus can do. He does it in a way that silences the people and exposes their hypocrisy. But at the same time, he also intrigues some of the people. Some of them, they're even asking the question, can this be the Christ? It's just something about the words of Jesus. Offensive to many, but life-altering to others. Well, Jesus, um, he's revealed himself. He sort of said, I am here when he begins to go into the temple and start teaching. Keep in mind, the Jewish leaders, they're seeking to kill him. They want him dead. And when they, they hear the crowd talking about Jesus, they send officers in order to arrest him. Look at verse 30. It says, so they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Nothing can happen to Jesus outside of the timing of God the Father. It's all in his timing. It's all in his plan. It's all in his purpose. After Jesus confounds the officers that are sent to arrest him and the Jewish people once again, John gives us the account, again, that is the heartbeat of chapter 7, verses 37 to 39. We're going to read them again together. On the last day of the feast, that, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not glorified. Just imagine the scene with me for just a minute. This is the last day. It's probably day eight of a week-long festival. It's the culmination of the greatest feast of the Jewish year. A feast where people have prayed for rain for a future harvest. They've watched the priests carry that water from the pool of Siloam to the temple for seven days. The people are thinking about rain. They're thinking about water. A precious resource, especially for this part of the world. And Jesus, he turns the attention of the people to the deep need of the soul. He turns their attention to the way that he will satisfy their longings and desires. Notice how John says that Jesus stood up and he cried out. When Jesus was in the temple, he was sitting down and he was teaching. Now he's standing and he's crying out. What he's doing, he wants as many people as possible to hear what he's going to say. For all the misunderstanding, for all the speculation that's out there surrounding him, he wants to make this part perfectly clear. I am the living water that your thirsty soul needs. Remember the story of the woman at the well in chapter 4? You remember that story? If, if you're not familiar with it, go back and read it this afternoon and listen to the sermon that we preached on it a few weeks ago. Because in that story, we have references to the living water. But it's not here until chapter 7 
or an explanation is given in terms of um, its significance in terms of the Holy Spirit. Friends, Jesus invites the thirsty to come and drink. He invites all the broken, all the downtrodden, all the hurting and the oppressed, all those who have tasted what the world has to offer and have been left wanting. He offers them, come and drink. There's so much Old Testament symbolism and fulfillment that it's hard to know where to even begin. Let me give you a couple. Isaiah 55, 1 and 2. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Jesus says, come to me and drink. Zechariah 14.8, talking about the day of the Lord. It says, on that day, living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half to the western sea. Here's what Jesus is doing. And this, I hope, will, in just a a small way, there's so much more we could talk about this, but in a small way, help you understand the Bible more in a, a beautifully clear way. Those two prophetic texts that I just quoted, and Jesus' words in John chapter 7, they fit together in a perfect way. They're referring to a time that will one day happen, but also to a time that is already here. The Holy Spirit of God now dwells in the people of God. The Holy Spirit, he's always been with the people of God. But now in a unique way, he lives in them. Brothers and sisters, he lives within us. Jesus is the source of this living water that is the Holy Spirit. There's no other spring that you can go to in order to find this. The only way that we drink, the only way that we drink of the living water that is the Spirit is when we come to Jesus in faith. We can't earn this living water. We don't bring our certificate saying, look at all that I've done. I deserve this. It's not how it works. We receive the living water of the Holy Spirit when we turn from our sin and our wicked ways and trust in Christ as our Savior. And that same Holy Spirit that was poured out at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, church, that same Spirit is at work in the people of God individually and collectively. He is at work in us. Some of us, we need to spend some time this week. Maybe together, maybe individually. We need to ask God once again for him to pour out his Holy Spirit upon us. We need the Holy Spirit to help us to say no to sin. We need the Holy Spirit to help us to be bold in our faith. We need the Spirit to encourage us in our struggles. We need the Spirit to glorify Christ in our lives. You know, that's the chief purpose of the Holy Spirit. It's to glorify Jesus. It's to make Jesus real in the hearts of his people. Church, I know I've said this at least three times in recent sermons. It might have been more often. But if we want more of the Holy Spirit's power in our lives, all we have to do is ask. All we have to do is ask. 
It's like when my children are thirsty and they come to me and ask me for a drink. I always give them something to drink. I guess the one exception would be uh, right before bedtime because then we might have a different problem. There'd be different sort of water flowing. Um, But I, I always give them something to drink. I don't turn them away and say, no, go find it for yourself. You go find it. You go find it somewhere else. You'll figure it out. You're four years old. You can do it. No, I love to help my girls no longer be thirsty. Christian, when Jesus does the same thing for his followers when they come to him and ask him for a drink. He will satisfy your thirst with his spirit. Now, it's important for me to point something out to you at this point. When we come to Jesus and he gives us his spirit, he pours the Holy Spirit out on us, it doesn't mean that all our pain goes away. It doesn't mean that our suffering ceases. Christians, they struggle with depression. Christians battle anger and anxiety. Christians face financial pressure and disease. But the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, it gives us hope. It gives us uh, courage and perseverance in the middle of profound suffering. It gives us confidence. I was listening to a podcast just yesterday uh, talking about the Christian church in the first couple of centuries of his, of his existence. And the guy on there, he was talking about how some of the believers were killed because of their faith in Christ. And uh, he was recounting in pretty uh, significant detail about what these believers went through. And as I'm listening to this, it's, it's hard to imagine that sort of existence for people who follow Christ. And that wasn't the experience for all the believers, just like it's not the experience for all the believers today. Um, but a lot of these, these Christians, they were on the run from authorities Their family members turned on them. They were beaten often. Some of them were tortured for their faith. I was just thinking about Hebrews 11 um, section there. I'm going to read a couple verses for you. The writer says, Some were tortured. Others suffered, mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Think about all the things that Paul went through, all his sufferings, all his trials. Think about what the Lord Jesus went through. I just had, I paused. I literally stopped the podcast. I was driving. I stopped it. And I just had this moment of asking the Lord, how is it possible that these people were able to endure this? How is it possible that they were able to sort of live out this existence? I don't know about you, but that sort of life sounds terrifying. I think think this is the answer. As I was praying and reading this passage, this is it. Those people had drank deeply of the living water. The Holy Spirit of God dwelled in them in a powerful way. And they knew that there was something better waiting for them in eternity. 
I don't know about you, that is the kind of life I want to live. A life that has been sealed by the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our future inheritance until we finally acquire possession of it. But don't miss what Jesus says in verse 38. And this is maybe the most shocking part of this entire section. He says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Brothers and sisters, we now impart streams of life-giving power to others. We are the instruments of the living Spirit of God, both uh, individually as Christians and as the gathered body of Christ. And our words and our deeds, our actions become channels of divine grace. Praise God for that privilege. In the same way that those priests in Jerusalem would go to the pool of Siloam and bring the water to the altar, we go to the source that is Christ and minister through the Spirit to others. Church, a Spirit-filled person can't help but be a blessing to other people. A Spirit-filled person can't help but to love and to serve and to have difficult conversations with people with the goal of helping someone drink of the living water that is Jesus and his spirit. Jesus in John 4.14. This is to the, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Friends, Jesus is the source of the water of life. And the more that we drink deeply of him, the more that our communion with him is rich and real, the more hope and satisfaction that we have in this life. The greater the presence of the Spirit in our lives, the more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control we will possess. My hope and prayer for our church is that we will be a people constantly asking for more of the Spirit's presence in our lives, individually and collectively. It's not just one or the other. It's both. Individually, we're asking for this. Collectively, we're asking for this. We have no hope. We have no power in and of ourselves. It all comes from the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Doxa Church, I hope that you leave here today, um, that we leave here seeing ourselves as instruments of the living Spirit of God. Because if we get this, if we see this and understand this as our reality, it brings a sense of clarity and focus to our lives. It helps us to spend less time prioritizing secondary things. It gives us such a greater sense of purpose and identity that no matter what job I'm in, no matter what area of the country or the world I live in, that doesn't change my identity. That doesn't define who I am. I'm a child of, of God. I'm a son of God. I'm an instrument of the Holy Spirit. 
It'll change your life if you can get that and believe that and live in that reality. If you've got your Bible open, turn real quick to Revelation 22.1. Revelation 22.1. I want you to see one more thing as we close here. Revelation 22.1. This is the end of the book. It's the last chapter. Give you just a second to get there so you have it in front of you. If not, I'm going to read it for us, so don't worry. Revelation 22.1. This is John, once again, writing this, this letter, this book. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb living water that is the Holy Spirit comes from the conquering Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who drink of this water will never thirst again. From now through all of eternity. This stream never runs dry. So come. Come tired, weary, thirsty soul who's never tasted this water before, come and drink. Thirsty Christian, come and drink. Come and drink and live this life that is filled with the Spirit, that is full of joy and power and all points to the risen Savior. Brothers and sisters, one of the way one of the ways that we are nourished on Christ is when we take communion together each Sunday. When we take the bread, we're reminded that Christ's body was broken for us. When we take the cup, we're reminded that his blood was shed for us. His death on the cross becomes our death to sin when we trust in Jesus as our Savior. His resurrection becomes our resurrection to new life in and through the power of of the Spirit. Christian, come. Be reminded of all that Christ has done for you. Be nourished on Christ. Be nourished by Christ through faith when we take this meal together. Communion is open for all who have trusted in Christ for salvation. If you're here and you are not a Christian, or even if you're not sure if you're a Christian, we ask that you not come forward and take part in communion. It's It's not to single you out or anything like that. Uh, It's just that communion is only for Christians, and you're actually showing us a great deal of honor and respect by not coming forward um, if you're unsure or if you're not a believer. Um, We're glad that you're here if you do fit in that category. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you do have questions, and I hope that you do, um, we would love to talk with you about how you can become a Christian or how you can be sure if you're not sure if you are one. Please don't sneak out of here if you have questions. Find me after the service. Grab Dale. Randy will be at the door. There's going to be someone at the prayer area there in the back. Uh, Come with your questions. Come ask. We want to help you. Um, Well, communion is going to be served at two stations here in the front. As you feel led, you come forward, receive uh, the bread and the cup, and you can make your way back to your seat, and one of our elders is going to come forward and lead us in taking that meal together. Uh, once you get back to your seat. So let's pray, and then we're going to continue in our worship.
And Jesus, only you bring satisfaction to our souls. Only your Holy Spirit brings life. We ask that you water us with your presence. Pour out your Spirit upon us in a way that causes us to marvel. Pour out your Spirit on us in a way that causes us to sing your praises. To devote our lives to you. To surrender all to you. Fill us so that out of our hearts, living water would flow. Use us to impart streams of life-giving power to others. Do this for your honor and your glory and your fame. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.